We are to make disciples. That is our passion and our mission. Vote yes. In fact, not to do so would be to display a lack of gratitude for whatever amount of religious freedom and moral boundary our government yet endorses. But just remember when you do, Jesus Christ did not say, I will build my country. He did not say, I will build my country. He said, I will build my what? My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. What obligations do you have as a citizen of your country? To what extent should you be involved in politics and civic debate? Today you'll learn that yes, Christians do have an obligation to the society in which they live. But our greatest and most important mission is related to the church, not the country. We've been entrusted with a mission from God, and that needs to be our top priority. Welcome back to Wisdom for the Heart. Today, we're wrapping up a series called I Pledge Allegiance. This message is entitled, paying your dues. Open your Bible to Romans 13. Open the newspaper on any given day and you will read one more story that reveals the downward plunge and spiral of our culture and the greater and greater sin and depravity and defiance of God's standard. Without a doubt, the believer could grow frustrated, worried perhaps, maybe even angry. We have watched our public courts now sanction an alternate lifestyle that we know is sinful homosexual behavior. We've watched and heard as liberal churches and seminaries have joined the chorus of this depravity and carrying the torch. There is now a current public uproar over the recently elected Pope's suggestion that homosexual men not be allowed into Catholic seminaries, which I find ironic given the loss of multiplied millions of dollars, not to mention the destruction of thousands of lives by this pervasive pedophile within the corrupt priesthood. We have watched in our generation reproductive freedom, interpreted now as a woman's right to have an abortion, which means it's freedom for her and death to her baby, It is now the accepted viewpoint, not only by the courts of our land and our highest Supreme Court, but it is touted by tens of thousands of supposed Christians. We have watched as the average school and government agency now promotes the practice of safe sex, as if sexual activity outside of marriage could ever be considered safe. It is anything but safe. And its resulting promiscuity as our culture continues to downward spiral, It is reaching these resulting diseases, epidemic proportions, which for the most part, society at large is withheld from that information. We have seen freedom of speech protect the right to pornography and blasphemy as it relates to Christ and any legitimate, godly or kind view of Jesus Christ become unacceptable. It would certainly be understandable for the believer to be troubled We're watching Romans chapter 1 unfold in our own culture. We're watching as the last steps are taken. 
The first century believer saw it take place within his nation as Rome corrupted and fell apart from within. Our society as well as any society is on a trajectory course toward destruction and the only hope of our society and any society in the last times that we can remember certainly of all time has been and remains the gospel. Kind of reminds me of Robert Perry who a long time ago was on one of his many polar expeditions. He was heading north with one of his dog teams and at the end of the day After slugging his way north, he stopped to take a bearing on his latitude and was amazed and disheartened to discover that he was actually further south than he was at the beginning of the day. He couldn't understand why, but the mystery was eventually solved when he discovered that all along he had been traveling on a gigantic ice flow. Ocean currents were pulling him south faster then his dog sled could take him north. You ever feel like that in your own life? I mean, the faster you slug it out, you're moving north, and at the end of the day, you're further south. This is not any indictment on the south, by the way, in this analogy, you understand. (laughs) But what a picture of our culture, of any generation, of any country, a gigantic ice flow No wonder Bauer and Thomas, 25 years later, said we are further south than we started. After two decades of involvement and millions of dollars and millions of man hours, sin is more predominant than ever. For one instance, homosexuality is not only disapproved no longer, but we now have openly homosexual leaders. Sin is now more openly approved of than ever before. And what troubles me is the church, in the meantime, has developed a reputation of being only one more political voting block to contend with on election day. In the eyes of the world, we are clamoring for the same power, the same podium, the same position as the world. May I remind the church... That God is actually in control of the ice flow. He has set it on its course. This country and every country to have ever existed and that ever will exist is under the pleasure and the purpose and the power of our sovereign God. And we have already learned in Romans 13 that he appoints political leaders. He appoints governments to ultimately fulfill his purpose. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says through Jeremiah. Go and tell this to your leaders. With my great power and my outstretched arm, God says, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I will give it to anybody I please. Tell the leaders that, that God is sovereign. And who are you going to give it to, Lord? I am going to give it to my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. You can't mean that. And you can't call him your servant. Oh, but I do. And he and his government will fulfill my will. Ladies and gentlemen, God has not abandoned the times and boundaries of our nation to us. He has appointed its borders Acts tells us, and seasons before the universe was created. And he has placed us here, and I'm going to say it again. 
He has placed us here at this moment, at this point in our nation's trajectory toward his purpose to deliver the only message the believer can deliver, the only message the church can deliver. We are to deliver the gospel. We are to make disciples. That is our passion and our mission. Vote yes. In fact, not to do so would be to display a lack of gratitude for whatever amount of religious freedom and moral boundary our government yet endorses. Vote away. But just remember when you do, Jesus Christ did not say, I will build my country, even this country that I love. He did not say, I will build my country. He said, I will build my what? My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. While we may fail to respond correctly to our culture, God has not and he will not fail. Does this mean that we don't speak out against the evil of our government and our culture? Oh, should we ever speak? But it is to that issue as it relates to the Word of God. We stand like John the Baptist, who pointed his finger at Herod and called him a sinner, an adulterer for marrying his sister-in-law. We stand and we say, that's wrong. And we contextualize our statement by the meaning of God's Word. And so, if you go back to that text in Mark 6, I thought about preaching the whole message out of Mark 6, but we'd never finish this paragraph if I did that. So we're just going to mention it. But in Mark 6, listen to this. This is a text the church ought to study today. It's an indictment on the church of today. It said that Herod was afraid of John. He was afraid of John because John was a righteous and a holy man. Mark 6, verse 20. He was fearful of John because John was a righteous and a holy man. That's what we ought to be feared for. Like John Knox, who prayed openly in the gardens of Bloody Mary, who hated God. Queen Mary said that she did not fear the armies of any empire, but she feared the prayers of John Knox. I would submit to you that political leaders of our day in this generation may fear Christian pastors and ministry leaders not because we are holy men, not because we are righteous, not because we are willing to speak the truth of God's word. No, Christian leaders today are not feared for their prayers. They are feared because we have an ability to deliver the vote. And it is because of that that the church is patronized. It is Lord, and leaders are invited out. It is only because we are feared for our vote, but voting power in this generation has replaced preaching power. Voting power to the mind of the average Christian has replaced praying power. And if that is the case, and I fear it is, then what the church is actually communicating to our culture is something different than the gospel. In fact, we are communicating that we do not believe prayer is sufficient. We do not believe the gospel is fast enough. We do not believe that discipleship works. That must have been God's idea in the first century, but he didn't know what we'd be facing in the 21st century. Do we not care that our world 
ultimately is on an ice flow destined for destruction? Do we not care that humanity, men and women, are already under the condemnation of God? If we really do, then we must say the ultimate issue that should take our dollars and our time and our passion and our investment is not to make our culture pro-life or pro-choice. Don't misunderstand me. You know exactly where I stand on this. But it is not to make our culture pro-gay or anti-gay, pro-gun or anti-gun, pro-military or anti-military, Republican, Democrat, independent, Rush Limbaugh-ite, whatever, pro-recycling or all of it in one bag. That isn't the issue. The issue that our world must hear is that they hear and understand and by the grace of God accept the message that only we can deliver, that we have been left here rather than taken as soon as our conversion was settled. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ which is sufficient. So, with that said, how do we Christians live in response to the government? Well, let's go back to this paragraph and finish it. Romans chapter 13, you could easily outline, by the way, these first seven verses with two simple words. Verses 1 through 5 could be rendered under that categorical term, submit. And verses 6 and 7, the word support. The first word, which we have dealt with to some degree, is the word submit. Let's go back to verse 1 and read beginning there. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who rejects authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation or judgment upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. One word, submit. Now, from these verses, you could easily summarize that the role of government is threefold. Let me give it to you quickly. Number one, to discourage evil. Verse three says, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. The Greek word for fear gives us our English transliterated word phobia. In other words, the government creates a sense of phobia, all sorts of fear in the lives of those who commit evil. How do you feel when you're driving down the street, you're going too fast, you turn the corner and there is your friend in blue? That is fear that is provoked by a government to discourage evil, which is only further proof that Even an ungodly government and culture knows the difference between what is good and what is evil. And so, for in God's mind, for total anarchy to be withheld, though at times he allows it to break out, God has established government. Secondly, the government not only discourages evil, it encourages good. He writes in the latter part of verse 3, you will receive praise from the same. Stay out of trouble, in other words, and there's this general principle. You will be appreciated by your civil leaders. 
Thirdly, the government, whether it knows it or not, is the minister of God, literally the word diaconus, the deacon of God to enforce punishment. Paul writes in verse 4 that government is an avenger who bears the sword against evildoers. The sword is a reference to a weapon that can maim and even kill. God instituted the death penalty early in human history. He writes through his servant Moses in Genesis 9 verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Is that a cultural point of justice? No, because he attaches it to creation ordinance. He goes on to say, for in the image of God, he made man. In other words, it's timeless. Taking through murder the life of another forfeits your own life. It's interesting that the apostle Paul legitimized capital punishment in Acts 25 verse 11 when he said in that Roman court as he was appealing to Caesar, if I have committed crimes worthy of death, I will not resist the penalty of death. In other words, he says it would only be right to have my life taken in judgment if I am guilty of crimes punishable by death. Now, maybe you think that's too much power for the government and mankind isn't really all that bad. And certainly government has misused its power over the course of human history. But it remains as a general principle delivered here in Romans 13, God's instrument. And the governing of mankind should hinder evil encourage good, and punish crime. Just look at the riots in Paris, France over this last month. Just read the reports of rape and murder and blatant theft after the waters of Katrina came to states near us. Maybe you're wondering, well, If we're to submit at all times, is it ever right to not submit? And I have mentioned it in the past. Let me clarify it even more today, very quickly. There are three case studies that you may want to study on your own. The first one is in Exodus chapter 1 regarding the protection of human life. The Hebrew midwives, you remember, were commanded to strangle the Hebrew boys that were born to Jewish women by the decree of the Pharaoh, and they refused to do so. The second case study would be Daniel 3 regarding the issue of worship, where the government told the Hebrews to bow before the idols. The third case study would be Acts chapter 5 regarding the proclamation of the gospel. I could summarize those three by saying it this way. When the government demands that we do something that God says we shouldn't do, we're right to disobey. Or when the government demands that we do not do something that God commands us to do, we disobey. But as a general rule, the first word stands. It is the word submit. And I must tell you that to the Roman listener, as they sat in the assembly and listened to this letter read by their leaders, that would have caused them to take in their breath. It would have been hard to listen to this. For us, much easier. For them, very difficult. But if the first thought, the first word was hard to swallow, the second one would be very difficult, the word support. Look at verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. And I'll say they are devoted to taxes. Because of this... You also pay taxes. And the assembly in Rome would have gone, do you mean this? And he will leave them without loophole. Maybe 
you know, we're, we're prone to talk about that infernal revenue service. Those greedy tax collectors. They'll never spot this over here. I was paid in cash. They can't disprove that that was an expense. I can beat them at this game. Friends, you know that I have read recently that the amount of income taxes never paid to the government now exceeds in any given year $90 billion. But my question is, is some of that yours? Is some of it mine? Well, now that Paul had the attention of the assembly in Rome, he moves beyond taxes to the word custom, the word telos. It refers to a duty or a toll or perhaps a, a census which brought about taxation. You know, we're celebrating this season. Have you ever thought about the fact what would have happened if Joseph had disobeyed the census called to Bethlehem? Think of all the prophecies that were tripped because he obeyed the government. Paul further mentions the word fear, which is the word for respect. And then in the text, he mentions the word temain, which is translated honor. There are several times in the Bible this word shows up, five at least. First and foremost, we are to honor God. Paul ends many of his letters with honor to God, glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to honor our parents, our mother and father. We are to honor the elderly and thus reverence the Lord, we're told. We're also given instruction to honor church leaders. Paul wrote through Timothy to the congregation to honor diligent elders, especially those who teach and preach. First Timothy 5, the word is used in reference to honoring our political leaders in First Peter 2 and in Romans 13. To show deference to them, to show respect to them. We are to submit to government and we are to support the government. One author said that this list here in Romans 13 represents not only our actions, but our attitudes. It would have been enough if he just stopped and said, do it. But he moves now on into the attitude of who we are and how we act. It's an attitude of respect and deference. And I don't know about you, but I've been convicted not by my actions, but by my attitude in so doing. Let me make two conclusions. First, paying taxes to the offices of government is worthy. You know, when you think about it, it's commanded by God. Thus, it becomes the privilege of every believer for we seek to give him pleasure by obeying him, right? Which means when April rolls around, we have an opportunity to bring pleasure to God. We have an opportunity to obey him. And so by paying our taxes, we are honoring God and we are thus worshiping and glorifying him. So when April rolls around with great joy, fulfill your worthy occupation. And all God's people said, Amen. (laughs) That was actually louder than I expected. (laughs) Well, think about it this way. Maybe this will help. We are rewarded at the coming Bema seat for everything we do for God. Think of that as the ultimate tax refund one day. Not only is paying taxes to the offices of government worthy, acting graciously to the officials of government is a witness. Would you listen to Justin Martyr who lived in the middle of Roman persecution, who writes to his political leaders, everywhere we more readily than all men endeavor to pay taxes, both ordinary and extraordinary. 
as we have been taught by Jesus Christ. We worship only God, but in other things we will gladly serve you, acknowledging you as kings and rulers of men, and praying that with your kingly power you will have sound judgment. Wow. Let that be our emails to our leaders. I had a gentleman come up to me, an attorney, last hour who said, you know, I've never thought about the fact I've never thanked any of our city councilmen for all of the hours they spend trying to bring order, even though I may disagree with them in this culture. And I plan to write them notes of simple, gracious thank yous. I read a sermon preached by Charles Spurgeon to his congregation in London, England in 1862, who was preaching on this text and on this subject, and I stand in good company. He said it in this way to his congregation. He said, let us remember that we are simply passing through this earth, and we should bless it in our transit, but never yoke our hopes to its affairs. It is passing away. We are as British subjects living for a while in Spain, knowing that we will soon be traveling back home. And what is that home like? Listen, as John the Apostle described it, there is a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming down from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of the street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservant shall serve him, and they shall see his face. And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and forever. And behold, I am coming quickly. It's 2,000 years past, but it's coming. And when it does, and with our glorified perspectives, we will say, that was so fast. That was so quick. We who long for that eternal country, the kingdom of justice and joy, of goodness and grace, we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come now. But until you do, we shall bless earth with holy lives as we journey through it. We shall bless it as winsome witnesses as worthy citizens to the glory and honor of your name for you are king of kings you are emperor of emperors you are president of presidents you are lord of lords This is Wisdom for the Heart, the Bible teaching ministry of Stephen Davey. Stephen is the president of Wisdom International. This was the conclusion of Stephen's three-part series called I Pledge Allegiance. 
Be sure and drop us a note and let us know if God's used this message to help you. Our email address is info at wisdomonline.org. Join us next time as Stephen Davey brings you more wisdom for the heart.